Well, good morning. All right. It's pretty, pretty good. First service, they were a little more tired than y'all. This is how I rate everything, whether you say good morning back or not. Um, I have uh, discovered one of the, the greatest plagues on, um, on relationships today, marriages today, um, and, and it's this really, really simple thing. Um, it's a question that, that digs deep in, inside the heart and, and, and really takes root, and here's what it is. What are we going to watch tonight? Like so, so Maddie and I cut the cord. Uh, you know, we, we don't have cable or uh, or or satellite or whatever. What, what we do is we just have a Netflix uh, account and we do antenna TV or whatever. But we sit down to watch Netflix, and it is like the hardest thing to figure out. Like if I'm watching by myself, I can do that, right? I can I can I can figure out what I want to watch, and she's the same way. But when we're trying to figure out what collectively we are going to watch together, that's a whole different whole different animal. That is, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. When uh, we were engaged to be married, um, uh, Pastor Randy, he actually did our premarital counseling. He had us take a compatibility test, and we scored a 100 in, re- uh, in recreational compatibility, which, you know, that means we like spending time with each other, and we like all the same things. That was a lie. One of us was lying. <laughs> One of us did not answer truth. I'm going to blame myself. I was probably like, whatever you want to do, just all happy. Yeah, I, yeah, I love baking. Yeah, I do. Um, so it's probably my fault. But we scored a 100, and he, he joked back. He goes, you know what my wife and I scored on that? I'm like, what? He said, a zero. <laughs> I was like, all right. But yeah, it was a complete lie because we, while we, we have some things, some similar interests in, in general, we are very, two very different people in the things that we like. And it's, it's so clear when it comes to like picking a show on Netflix. So um, if you have Netflix, you, you might know they have multiple profiles. So she has her profile where it has all of her shows that, that she wants to watch. And I have my profile, all the shows that I want to watch. None of them are the same. Like, not at all. Um, it, it, is, it is distinctly different. And, and so whenever I go over to her profile and I start looking at the suggested, suggested shows, I'm like, I didn't even know these were on Netflix. I had no idea this existed. But there is one, one tiny little, little genre that we overlap. Like, if there was a Venn diagram of what we like to watch, um, it barely overlaps in one tiny little area, and it's this. Reality cop dramas. <laughs> That's it. Reality cop dramas. Now it can't be. It can't be a cop like TV show, like a fictional. No, no, no. We can't agree on that for some reason. But if it is a reality cop drama, we are all about it. When she was pregnant with um, our, our firstborn son, um, he, he was born in May, so the temperature's really getting really hot, not nearly as hot as it is now, good heavens. Um, but uh, she didn't want to go outside as much, so we had to watch a lot of TV and hang out inside, and we found this, this gem of a show, Alaskan State Troopers. <laughs> that, was, that was something. <laughs> Just binge-watching some Alaskan State Troopers, really digging into that. It does not sound like it'd be an interesting show, but it is so fascinating. All of a sudden, they're, they're chasing drug dealers, and then they're like lassoing a moose. I don't know. It's something. 
it kept our interest. But we, we do, we love these, these uh, cop drama things. We, we, we love watching the, the bad guys get caught. And, you know, it, it always goes like this. You have the authorities, they get a call, they respond to the call, and they find somebody, uh, you know, where they're not supposed to be or doing something they're not supposed to be. And then uh, there, there's a confrontation, whether that's some sort of chase or usually someone gets tackled and, and they have to beep out like half the words, you know. Um, but usually someone's tackled, put in handcuffs and put in the back of the car. But there's something that happens rarely in those shows. And it drives me crazy when they go and they respond and the guy gets away. And that drives me absolutely crazy. I'm like, oh, well... I guess we'll catch him uh, next time. Next time? What are you talking about? Catch him now. I did not invest an hour in the show for you to not catch the guy. Okay? That's not why, that's not why I did this. There's got to be a resolution here. Like, it always drove me crazy. And they're just so sure they're going to commit crimes again, and they're going to pop up again, and it'll be fine. But it, it, it drives me insane. Or, you know, we, we watch those, like, Dateline specials, you know, the, the mysteries of who, who did it and, and all this stuff. And uh, every once in a while, at the end of those, they're, they're like, and we still don't know. <laughs> then why are you telling me? <laughs> Spend your time finding that guy and less time just talking about it. I don't <laughs> I, uh, it, it drives me insane when, when they don't, don't have the resolution. And so uh, there's a book of the Bible we're going to be talking about today and uh, digging in. And, and in this book, there, it really starts with a, a crime or a wrongdoing that is unresolved. It, this, this thing that has to have been resting on the heart of the one who is wronged. And, and Paul, who, who's writing this letter, is going to come in and, and try to provide a resolution. But it's not going to be the resolution that anybody expected. And, and, and so I, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be the, the people in this story before, uh, before this letter was written, sitting without a resolution frustrated at why isn't this solved? And then all of a sudden, Paul writes a letter. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon, it's a tiny, tiny book. It's actually the third smallest book in the Bible. So don't feel bad if you miss it three times trying to find it. Um, it's, it's okay. Don't, also, don't feel bad if you have to go to the table of contents. That's why it's there. Okay, so don't, don't be afraid to do that. But Philemon uh, is a letter in the New Testament, third shortest book in the Bible. It doesn't have any chapters, just one chapter. Um, it has 335 uh, Greek words. Um, to put that in some perspective, um, the average for a book of the Bible is around, like over 9,000 words. And so it's tiny. And I, I say that because, and I bring that up, not only because you'll, you'll see it, but the it's really important to realize that even though it's a tiny book, it carries a tremendous amount of weight. I know for me, reading through the New Testament and digging into a lot of the strong, rich teaching that Paul has in, in so many of his letters, you get to Philemon, and, and it's really easy to just breeze past it. Like, okay, check. I, I now read two books of the Bible today because I read this tiny one, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> So Philemon's really easy to read through, and it's also really easy as you read it, just go, well, that was interesting. And it just becomes like an anecdote to everything going on, rather than um, stopping to realize how groundbreaking and, and, and beautiful this short letter was. 
The letter of, uh, to Philemon from Paul um, is really probably the most personal letter that we have that Paul wrote. Um, most of the letters are a little more formal, uh, a little bit more instructive. He's, he's coming from a position of authority um, as he's teaching the different churches or, or um, mentoring uh, men and, and things like that. So um, this is a very personal letter to Philemon. In fact, he goes, I'll point this out in a second, but he goes out of his way to say, I am not talking to you and like commanding you to do things. This is not a position of authority. This is me talking from a, a personal um, level, in a personal brotherly, um, like a spiritual brother sort of way. So who was Philemon? Well, Philemon was a wealthy man uh, that lived in Colossae, and Philemon um, came to know Christ through the, the Christian movement t- taking Christian movement taking place amongst the Colossians. And after he accepted Christ, what he did was he opened up his home for Christian gatherings to take place in his home. There weren't places for Christians to, to meet. They met in homes and, and in community with one another. And so he opened up his home. There was a, a, a community that, that met there and gathered there uh, to, to worship Christ, to learn about him. So Philemon was wealthy, um, he uh, was well-liked in the Christian community. Uh, he was a leader of sorts. The other part of this story is um, Philemon had a, a slave named Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away. He, he ran away from Philemon. Now, we don't have the details of exactly what happened, but through kind of piecing things together, we, we know he definitely ran away, um, and he more than likely did something wrong in the process, whether that be um, uh, thieving or stealing something, uh, st- whether it be money or property. Um, maybe it, it was um, maybe it was something more more personal. Um, we don't know. We just know that more than likely Onesimus did something wrong based on kind of context clues and what Paul shares. And so here's what's happening in this letter. Paul is writing. Philemon to say, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, and this is what I want you to do. So that kind of sets the, the scene, scene here. It's an interesting letter. Again, it's not, it's not formal um, or as like instructive for like a church body. It's, it's personal. It's to one person and what uh, he should do. But the, the story really in this letter frames um, something more than an interesting a- anecdote, but really a picture of how we should act as uh, followers of Christ, how we should respond to, to others, and how we should live when we're following Jesus. So the letter starts with some greetings and such, and then uh, Paul is commending Philemon for how he's interacting with the church, for opening up his home. And then uh, we're going to pick up in verse 4 here. As, as he starts to, he continues to really commend uh, Philemon. This is what it says. And I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So, 
the more I've read this letter, the more I realize that, that Paul is, is really a genius when it comes to making arguments. He's, he, he, Philemon doesn't know it yet, but Paul is setting up his argument, setting up what he's going to present. And he says, I pray that the, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. This um, phrase, sharing of your faith, that, that word sharing, um, it, it's not, um, it, he's not talking about evangelism, uh, but more of, of a sharing of his self and a sharing of, of his heart with his community. And that's what he's talking about. It's this word koinonia. Um, and, and there it is. You know, koinonia um, means communion. It means uh, mutual participation. It's a, it's a partnership. And so what Paul is telling him is saying, my prayer is that the community um, heart that you have shown, this partnership with others attitude that you have shown, my prayer for you is that that becomes effective in the full knowledge and in every good thing that is in us. He's saying, that's what I want to be the central focus of what you do, that your heart for other people your welcoming and gracious attitude, that that would envelop everything that you do. And this is setting him up for what he's going to request. This is setting up Paul's request because he's saying, this is what it hinges on, your heart of, of being welcoming and, and to partner with others. And so the rest of the letter is basically contained in the next 12, 14 verses, the, the, the meat of it. Um, and so we're going to walk through these and discover some very interesting details about this letter. So verse 8 says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Um, so to let you know what's going on here, um, Paul's saying, I, I could just tell you what to do. I could just make this a command. Listen, uh, Paul had this cloud. He, says, he could say, listen, as, as one of the leaders over these communities, this is what you're supposed to do. Do it and tell me when it's done. He could have done something like that, but he wasn't. He's saying, I, I, want to, I prefer for love's sake to appeal to you. He says, I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. That wasn't him being manipulative. Um, sometimes when we read that, it sounds like, oh, he's throwing in the old man card. Like, but I'm old. You should listen to me. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is, I'm, I'm wise. I've been around. And, and I'm currently suffering for Christ. So I, I know about hardships. Because he's saying, I'm asking you something big. We haven't gotten to what that ask is yet, but he's acknowledging, he's asking something big, but he's been there, he's done that, and he's saying, don't do it just because I'm saying so. This has to be your heart, Philemon. This has to be your, your, your passion. You have to, to, to love to do this. Let's read on. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So we find out a couple things here. Onesimus accepted Christ from Paul. So somewhere along the way, after Onesimus ran uh, away, he runs into Paul. We don't know how that happened, but he did. And Paul led him to Christ. And so now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. When, when I read this, 
something really strikes me. This is the first part of the letter where Onesimus is even brought up. I ask you to just kind of, I'm a very visual, imaginative person. I really want to encourage you to put yourself in Philemon's shoes or sandals. Um, put, put yourself right there in his sandals. And because and, I think we've experienced this before. Maybe there's a time in your life where a friend is talking to you or has messaged you, emailed you, whatever, and, and the conversation shifts and says, hey, the reason, the reason I, I'm talking to you is, is I, we need to talk about so-and-so. All of a sudden, you're confronted with maybe somebody that, with, with hearing a name that maybe it's somebody who's hurt you, betrayed you, robbed you of something. And, and now you have to confront and deal with this. Can, can I be honest? I've, I've felt that. I've, I've had those moments where um, I, there, there's, a, there's a name that I don't want to hear that name anymore. I don't, I don't want to hear it said. And when I hear the name brought up, my whole demeanor changes. So I can only imagine, again, we don't know all the details of this story, but after all this, this praising of Philemon, Paul gets to the point. I'm writing you to talk about Onesimus. And so I can't imagine what Philemon was going through or what his thought process was, but I can't imagine he was happy to see this name. It's, it's possibly harmful. He's saying, I'm writing you to appeal to you for my child Onesimus. So this was, this was Philemon's chance. Onesimus was coming back to him. This was Philemon's opportunity to get what he deserved, to get closure, to get that resolution, right? This is the, the part where the authorities catch the bad guys and they, they're cuffed and put away. That's what we've been waiting for. So Philemon, by the law in this culture, had uh, certain rights when it came to how to deal with a slave who ran away, or a bondservant that ran away and returns. Um, it, more than likely, this didn't mean, uh, mean death, uh, but it could have meant uh, some flogging beatings or something like that. It could have me meant um, a, a uh, stripping of any property he may have uh, accumulated. Um, it, it, it could have uh, meant him being sold to a, a different uh, master. Lots of different consequences could have fallen upon Onesimus. And this was Philemon's opportunity. And so there's really a sub-note to the, the point of this letter um, that, that struck me as I was reading through it, and, and it's this. Just because you have the legal right does not mean that God has called you to do it. Just because uh, there, there is a given right by the, the things of this world does not mean that God is calling you to it. A perfect example is found in 1 Corinthians um, 6, 12 and 13, and um, Paul's writing this. He says, uh, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. These quotes that he's saying, these all things are lawful, these, these are the thoughts of the Corinthian culture. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. 
The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So the point is, the, the law of the land in, in the Corinthian church, they, they had this concept that if your, if your body has a desire, you have the right to meet it. That was the Corinthian mindset. If you have a craving, you have the, not, not, a, not the, you, you can try to figure it out or how to deal with it. No, you have the given right to meet that craving, to go after it. And that's such a dangerous, hedonistic culture, and that's what Paul was challenging when he wrote to the Corinthians. But there's, there's a similar line in this thought in, in how he's going to be challenging Philemon. He's going to be asking him to, not, to, to let go of his earthly given right to punish Onesimus as um, he returns. And so this is something we have to remember, that just because we have a legal right for something doesn't mean that... We, we have to do it. Sometimes refraining for the sake of the Lord is exactly what we're supposed to do. I was at the store uh, several weeks ago, and um, there was a lady in line who was complaining about a coupon. We all kind of know how that goes. <sighs> 60 cent coupon. Still remember that, 60 cents. And she proceeded to just tear down this poor cashier. Like, I've never heard something like this for, for something so little. Just tore the, this, this poor girl down to where after she left, the, the 16, 17-year-old girl who was running the cash register was in tears. And her manager had to come over and say, take a break. And so what, what really got me, I can't make this up, it was just uh, un, unbelievable. What got me was, um, I was, I was two people behind this lady, and on the, I could see the back of her shirt, and it had her church's web address. Listen, if you decide to yell at somebody <laughs> at the store, don't wear an EBC t-shirt. Just a little, little disclaimer there. I, I, I couldn't believe it. The, my anger was welling up, and right before I was able to say something, the lady in front of me spoke up, um, and she said, uh, you know, basically, what's the deal? It's a 60-cent coupon, reaches into her purse, grabs a dollar bill, and slaps it down the counter. There you go. <laughs> the lady fumed off and, and was upset, and while me and this other customer are trying to console this poor girl who's crying... And, and, and here, here's the thing, this is why I bring up this ridiculous story, is because um, every conflict um, that, that reaches a stalemate, not every, uh, so many conflicts that reach a, a stalemate end with somebody doing this. Well, I can say what I want. Free country, right? I can say whatever I want. Freedom of speech. And, and yes. Praise the Lord that he has blessed us to be in a country where we are free to speak our minds. Praise the Lord. But praise the Lord that we have a God that tells us to shut them. <laughs> and so, again, I think one of the things that we're, we face in, it was, in such a volatile culture that we have, social media and, and everybody having a platform and, and all this stuff, one of the things that we really face is finding that line of, uh, okay, I, I'm allowed to do it, but, I sh but should I? 
Philemon was going to be allowed to punish Onesimus, however, and no one would have shrugged about it. He would have been cheered on for it. Paul was going to challenge that. Just because you have the legal right to do something doesn't mean God has called you to it. I don't know how many minds have been closed by stating, well, this is my right. When first we should be thinking, God, what do, you, what do you want in this conflict? What do you want in this situation? And listen, if you are ending and trying to resolve something based solely around what you deserve, I think we should all think that well, what the Bible says we deserve is death. The Bible says that we, because of our, our sinful nature and our sinful hearts, we deserve death. It's only when an advocate stands in our place, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, that we receive anything, anything worthwhile. And so here, here Philemon is being challenged. We pray, we pray, God, not, not our will, but your will be done I mean, oh, if we would actually live that. So Paul is pleading for Onesimus. The name Onesimus actually means useful or useful one, which is interesting. And so Paul, like he likes to do, has this play on words moment. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you. Now he is indeed Onesimus. He is fulfilling his name. He is useful again. So there's a transformation that took place, and Paul is trying to present this to Philemon, that this is not the same Onesimus that left. This is someone new. He was useless. He is now useful. So this is significant. So what is Paul then suggesting take place? So here is where it is. In verse 12, it says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that, you, uh, that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. He's again reminding him, I, I, again, don't do this for me. I, I'm sending him back so you can, you can see him. You can, you can do this out of love. Don't do this for me, not out of compulsion, but on your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while. Maybe there's a reason for all this. Maybe there is a reason that, that you might have him back forever. And listen to this. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. And so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Do you hear that? This is what Paul was doing. This is the earth-shattering, groundbreaking thing that Paul was doing, and, and you have to try to wrap your mind around this. He was saying, when, when Onesimus comes back, you don't receive him as a slave. Don't receive him as a slave. It would have been very, very easy in, in, um, for Paul to write a letter saying, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. Be nice to him. Hey, I'm sending Onesimus back, back to you. Um, just, just try, you know, maybe don't punish him. That would have been, been an easy thing. But he asks something that is a very big ask. He says, this man who, who worked under you, who left you and wronged you, 
when he returns, consider him family. Groundbreaking. Insane, culturally speaking. Absolutely insane, culturally speaking. Um, Again, there's no evidence of this, but I can only uh, speculate that there had to have been like whispers going on um, in the community about this. Like, okay, wait, that guy came back and he didn't even get in trouble. In fact, he's family to them now? What? It would have changed everything. This was not an easy request. This was a big ask. Paul was asking Philemon to change the entire dynamic of their relationship. And he's saying, you consider him your brother. Not not consider him like one, one of my close friends, not part of my family, but for your behalf, for you, your brother. This changes not only the perspective of the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, but what does this do about the relationship between Philemon and any other bond servants he has? What does this do to change the perspective of Philemon and anyone else? When you take somebody who, who's supposed to be working under you, you're supposed to have authority over them, they leave, they wrong you, and now you welcome them back, as family, it's such a deeper thing that Paul was calling Philemon to. And here's what this means for us. We are to share and partner with others for the glory of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. To share, to be in, in community, and to partner with others for the glory of Jesus. Not for our glory. For us, it's this reminder that God has received his people for the sake of Christ, and we are to receive one another. Um, I recalled this that was in uh, Romans 5. It says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that in, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are rec- reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. The forgiveness and welcoming heart of God working through us is what moves our feet to love and care for others, to share this life with others to us in turn having a generous spirit. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking uh, about, uh, about just things. I'm talking about a generous heart to look at people and say, you come alongside me. You are not less than me. To look at people and say, you're not scenery on my life, but to look at people and say, you are welcome to come alongside me. For those who know Christ, that means they are already brothers, sisters with us, spiritually, family. For those who don't know Christ, that means they have the potential of becoming family. We, we should have this welcoming heart. We are never to be exclusive in our hearts. We're called to love. And, and the Bible says that our, uh, the followers of Christ will be known by their love, marked by that. So that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. 
to have this, this attitude of, of sharing of ourselves. Paul wraps up with his plea with this in verse 18 through 20. He says, if he has wronged, if he has wronged you at all, and this is where we start to get something happened here. <laughs> Paul knows about this. If he has wronged you at all, or if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your, uh, your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. See, the final thing that Paul addresses is the matter of cost. Matter of cost. A wrong had been done, a crime committed. Someone has to assume that debt. And Paul raises his hand and says, let that be me. I'll take it upon myself. Let me be the one. If that's what it takes for my friend Onesimus to be welcomed into your family, to be welcomed in, then let me pay the price. Does that sound familiar to anybody? See, here's an interesting note. Philemon is the only book in the Bible that does not mention the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, sorry, not the only one in the Bible. <laughs> only letter of Paul. I apologize. Philemon is the only letter that Paul wrote that he doesn't mention the death and resurrection of Jesus. But he's not avoiding it. He's modeling it. He's not dodging um, what Jesus did. He's saying, I, I'm modeling that for you. If you're a believer in Christ, we have this final question that I, I really want you to consider. Does my life reflect the sacrificial love of Christ? Because that's what Paul was living out. He was letting his entire life be a reflection of what Jesus did for us. And again, I'm not talking about money or things. It's, it's, it's a life. It's how we act. It's how we respond. It's how we interact with other people with this mind change, this life change, this heart change where no one is out of reach. No one is beyond the love of God. And so we need to be willing to put ourselves in, in an, an area of being ready to sacrifice on behalf of other people because Christ did that for us. I love the, the passage in Ephesians 5 that says, therefore be imitators of God. <laughs> what a challenging, incredibly challenging statement. Be imitators of God. Well, what did God do? He sacrificed his life for us. And so we are called to sacrifice our lives, our time, our energy, our minds, our hearts for other people in a loving, koinonia sort of way, sharing in, in partnership. I love, I love this. For, uh, John chapter 1 looks at this idea of, of family spiritual family. It says this, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He, it's talking about Jesus here, he came to his own, came to his people and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God. Gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh. They didn't do it on their own, not the will of man, but of God. Of all the crime shows that Maddie and I have watched, never once did they find a guy, catch him, and say, hey, um, you don't have to get in that cop car. You can go because that guy over there is taking it for you. Never once does that happen. That would be, that'd be really interesting. It <laughs> would be a big plot twist on the show. No, it's, it's either they get away or they're caught, and we, as, we, we always long for them to get caught. We long for them to be, be handcuffed and put away because, yeah, they're wrong. They did, they did, they did wrong. They, they committed a crime. That's where they should be. And praise God that he didn't look at us that way. Praise God that he said, you know what? Yeah, you deserve to be there. You deserve this punishment. But because of my son, Jesus, you are set free of that. Oh, how dare we have the same attitude when God has already set us free as believers in Christ? How dare we hold and put chains on people emotionally? How dare we put walls up in our lives and say, you are not worthy of his love. We cannot live that way. Not if we're going to be people marked by love. 1 John 2, 1-2 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. We all, like Onesimus, belong to a master who we rebelled against and robbed of his glory. We took and claimed the glory of God for ourselves. And then when we return to him, we desperately want to be welcomed back. Welcomed back as sons and daughters. Like Philemon, we are called to live lives with open, generous hands towards other people. People people will wrong us. People will hurt us. But we cannot deny the Holy Spirit's power to change and transform lives. Paul said of Onesimus, he left you useless. He has returned useful. May we pray for those who hurt us that they return useful. May may those prayers be spoken over us. Because, oh gosh, I need that. (laughs) And may we be, may we heed the words of Paul to have a welcoming spirit to come alongside people as equals, submitting to the only great authority in our lives, God. Would you bow your heads with me? Right now, I just encourage you to, maybe, maybe you have an Onesimus in your life, a, a person who has wronged you, has hurt you, frustrated you, maybe whose name you just can't even stand to hear anymore. 
My prayer is that God would begin softening your heart for them. If that person is a fellow believer in Christ, that God would provide you with the wisdom of how to confront that situation. That God would soften your heart in such a way that you could again see them as not lesser than you. Not someone lesser than you, but somebody who is worthy. Worthy because God calls them that. If that person doesn't know Christ, it's just as Onesimus had his opportunity to realize that there are others that have, have that opportunity, have that, that chance to know Jesus, to one day return to that relationship and see it flourish for the glory of Christ. Oh God, may we have soft hearts. You have been gracious with us beyond measure. Oh God, may we learn to be gracious with others. We thank you, Jesus, for being the advocate that stands in our place as as Paul was accepting the cost for Onesimus. We, we need you to remind us of the cost you accepted for us. May we not forget it. May we forgive, live graciously, and share our lives with others. In your name we pray. Amen.